0: So before we jump in, we have got some bloody exciting news. Yep. TFR, the podcast, is officially sponsored by Spotify. Way, way,
1: way, way. This is huge. At TFR, we preach that to stand out, you've got to do things differently to everybody else. You've got to be brave, you've got to be interesting, and above all, you've got to be
0: creative creative yeah spotify have an awesome new platform called spotify for creatives that shows you how to use streaming intelligence in creative and interesting ways did in, you know that paul
1: i didn't no no didn't interesting know. very uh, intelligent
0: and <laughs> creative
1: yeah and creative audio creativity is more than just radio ads i mean we love radio ads but it is more than that um you can get a spotify for that is spotifyforcreatives.com yep, um, for more information. They've got these things called next practices rather than best practices, which outlines the intelligent ways that you can use audio for your creativity.
0: And fucking hell, if you take the interactive demo, please don't forget to tag us in your streaming habits because that shit is hilarious.
1: So you have to tell me what this inter- interactive demo is. Yeah, you haven't done it, have you? So no.
0: you log in on the interactive demo, you log into your Spotify account, and it tells you who you're a super fan of, your listening habits... All that jazz. Yeah. So who would yours be? Diana Ross. <laughs> Michael Bublé. <laughs> Michael Bublé, yeah.
1: Stormzy. Always. Yeah. Dizzy Rascal. Dizzy. Dizzy.
0: What was it? We smack my bitch up. Yeah, a bit of Prodigy. Prodigy.
1: <laughs> Ooh. Hello. Now we're talking.
0: We'll do it. We'll post it on Twitter later, I promise.
1: Yeah, it's really good. <laughs>
0: Welcome to Take Fucking Risks, the podcast for people who give a fuck.
1: Yep, we're the podcast for the rule breakers, the outcasts, the people who want to fucking take a fucking risk.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Today on the podcast we're joined by the legendary Drayton Bird. I don't think there's anything that this man hasn't seen in life. Yeah, colourful. Very colourful. He is 60 years into the advertising game and there is not a single thing that he does not know about copywriting.
1: He's had a fantastic life, not only in his, uh, in his career with his copywriting, but also personally. Stabbed three times, had to live under a false name.
0: Casual.
1: <laughs> Casual. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so excited to hear what he has to say. Um, he's the, I think he's the epitome of take fucking risks. So, welcome Drayton.
0: Welcome Drayton.
2: One of the things i found about getting very old is I do not remember names. Mm.
0: Mm. Are you better with faces, then?
2: No, I'm, I'm not too bad. I mean, I'm, I'm margin. First of all, I'm surprised to be alive. Um, <laughs> and secondly, I'm f- surprised to be, to be able to write, still. Yeah. Cheers,
1: cheers, cheers, cheers. cheers. Good health. I'm not gonna reach over there, I'll spill it. No, mm. that's fine. Uh, you've been in the marketing industry
2: Fucking long time, Drayton, uh, 60 years. Why'd you choose marketing? There was no such thing as marketing when I came in. I got in the advertising business, and I got in the advertising business because somebody I knew in Manchester was working for an advertising agency. Yeah. Uh, a guy called Sandy Radcliffe. I always remember because his name was Sandy Radcliffe because his family used to own Radcliffe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said, You do well in advertising. Um, I didn't know what advertising was. Hmm. And I went to um, Manchester Public Library and read all the books on advertising, and there were two, and I only read one of them because the other one was shit. But The, the one I read was called Copy the Core of Advertising, and I was fascinated. That was how I got into advertising. And yep. I, what I did was I took a course, and I went to the guy who was running the course and said, I'm desperate, which I, indeed I was, I had no money, have a small child, wife, two up and two down house in Ashton and all yeah, that. I had to get a job and the guy said I can't help you, I've he I, I, I taken this course for about three months and he said I'm in charge of production which is something I knew nothing about then and knew hmm. nothing about now <laughs> and um, but eventually he said but Mr Arthur Fasham of the Manchester Publicity Association he might be able to help you so I went to see Mr Arthur Fasham who was in charge of the corps advertising mm-hmm. And after about a few minutes, I, d- I deduced that Mr. Arthur Fashion was probably right-wing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as fast as I could, I came out with some right-wing sentiments. And he <laughs> said, um, "Low Cunning was definitely my friend at that point in my life. Yeah. He was a bright, young lad. He <laughs> 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 you had screwed Mr. Mr. up. <laughs> Mr. Roland Hill in Liverpool at SC Peacock. He's looking for somebody and maybe I can arrange for him. So I went to see this Roland Hill. Yeah. So I said, well, I need a job. And he said, well, why should I give you a job as a copywriter? And I said, because I can write. He said, really? Can you prove it? And I'd been working for about 18 months for a, a magazine called Cotton. And I used to write the editorials and do, and also put things in envelopes. Jack of all trades. <laughs> and then he said, hmm. So why else? So I said, well, I think to be a copywriter, you've got to have a, a fund of knowledge. And he said, hmm. What's the name of the Plymouth Evening Newspaper? He asked me about three, four or five questions, ten questions. And the first one actually was, can you tell me the difference between the way a two-stroke engine works and the four-stroke engine works? And I have to tell you now that I, to this day I cannot drive a car. But I knew the answer to that because I'd been taught it at school. And I told and eventually I said, oh, you do seem to know a lot about <laughs> a lot of things. So then he said, um, so what else, why else? Do you think I should give you And I said, well, because I think to be a copywriter, you've got to really know a lot about people. And he said, do you know a lot about people? I said, I think so. And he said, why? That's because I was brought up in a pub. And half our clientele were very rich people, and half our clientele were ordinary, straightforward, honest folk. Yeah. And then he offered me a job, and he said, right, what are you getting paid now? This gives you an idea to what governments have done to the pound and I had seven pound, £7.19 and 19 and sixpence a week after, before tax, He said, well, we'll pay you that. And I said, well, I have to come from Ashton line, which is where I lived, it's like an hour and a half away on the train, and I can't afford it. And he said, all right, we'll pay you two pounds extra.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: and that's how I got my first job. Yeah. But it, there was no such thing as my, market. The word yeah. marketing was first used, as far as I can make out, in 1904, but it wasn't used in the advertising industry until Round about then, round about the nineties, late fifties, early sixties.
1: Yeah. yeah, it instantly hooked you, though. The, you know, the, the, the business of copywriting and advertising.
2: What hooked me was the fact that I'd always wanted to be either a lawyer or a writer, and I could see that in a curious way, copywriting—that was what it, it. Was that like you were making a case for something, and you had to be able to write? Yeah. I don't know what why it did fascinate me immediately and i when i used to hire people for in fact i'm going to see rory sutherland after this he's done quite well um i used to hire people and i always remember i often used to say do you have a burning desire to take money off people that always interested me (laughs) i wanted people who wanted to persuade people and i liked the idea of persuading people yeah Uh,
1: but you uh i mean how
2: long have you known rory i mean he's been ogilvy i gave him his
1: first job first
2: job you gave him his first job we used to run ads to get graduates, and we'd get, I remember that year, we got about 300 re- replies, and we agreed to see, I think, 20 or 30, of them, less than 30 of them. And I d- used to give a talk at the beginning, this is what we do, Did do vastly misleading, I'm sure. Yeah, um, you were selling. And I was watching <laughs> yeah. him. I watch everyone, I'm very curious. Dr. Johnson said, curiosity is not the mode of conversation among gentlemen but it is among copywriters. And I was watching him, apart from the fact he's, he's he was appallingly dressed, and he still is as He still oh. is, yeah. Um, he asked a couple of interesting questions, and I turned to the guy that was the managing director, because I couldn't manage my way out of a paper pack, uh, and I said, there's a guy sitting in the third row on the right, second row down, uh, wearing a peculiar cravat and blah, blah, blah. Very bright, keep an eye on I love the
1: fact that he was in a cravat. Yes. <laughs>
2: And that's how Rory got his first job. Then they wanted to get rid of him. Or He'd he he, he he'd been hired as an executive, and this is very important, and uh, he wanted to be a copywriter. And they said, no, he's been hired as an executive. And I said to them, look, we are not here to enforce things on other people. If we see people who've got talent and they want to do something, we're to try and make it happen for them if we think they're good. So that's how he became a copywriter. I think he became, yeah. he became creative director, rather, before, I think, after... I'm not sure. Before or after Steve Harrison, I think, who is a very good creator. Rory and Steve are two of the most uh, able people I've ever hired. I think I was very good at spotting people. I do say that now. I'm yeah. very good at spotting people. Yeah. Well, the proof is in the pudding, because he's fantastic. Well, maybe that. They are both very, very talented, able people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I do love, his, I do love Rory's um, uh, spectator articles. So it's 60 years. 60 years in the advertising uh, 62. 62, I think.
0: Quite a long time. But that, I mean, you've seen
1: <laughs> seems, seems even <laughs> longer. It seems even <laughs>
0: longer. <laughs> Never fucking ending. What, what do you think are the biggest changes that you've seen since day one?
2: Uh, <sighs> I think one catastrophic thing that's happened uh, to the advertising business is the way in which it's segmented itself down. This started really with the growth of media agencies so what happened within the industry was that bits of of the business that advertising represented or agencies represented were taken away from them Yeah. until eventually they're almost reduced to um, creative and creative is a dangerous word trying to be creative for example is a very bad idea. What people try to be, because they, don't, they haven't studied enough, is they try to be creative. And by creative, they think original. And as Rosser Reeves observed, um, originality is the most dangerous word in the advertiser's lexicon, and David Huggervy stole the line from him because he didn't believe in originality <laughs> either. <laughs> they were brother-in-laws, actually, yeah. David and, oh, right. really? and Rosser yeah. Reeves. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's changed. There has been an increasing degree of specialisation... Yeah. which is not necessarily a good thing. The first jobs that I had to do were I had to write a salesman's organiser, which is something that some of for Richmond's sausages poor sausages yes. yeah. used to take round to to sell into yes. retailers, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And I wrote a leaflet, not a leaflet, a, a brochure for uh, some people who sold seed cleaning machinery. And I wrote some ads for a chain of restaurants. And I had one other thing, but what's important is that I was... It was assumed that I should be able to persuade anybody of anything, or, and that's what I think is, that a specialization has killed things. Yeah. I also think this lack of general knowledge and a, a lack of understanding of what matters and what doesn't uh, has inflicted the industry. And the best example I can think of, oddly enough, is to do with Ogilvy Mather. Ogilvy Mather now is run by a very nice man who's a former um, research guy who spent a prodigious amount of money for people to redesign the word Ogilvy. This is so close to insanity, I can't even think about it. Nobody yes. ever looked at an agency's thing and said, love the serifs, yeah. love the serifs, I'll have six, they must be geniuses. <laughs> yeah. you know, People don't understand. The one thing that hasn't changed and is just as bad as it ever was is complete lack of study, I remember I've done a tremendous amount of lecturing and frequently with people from Ogilvy in the audience. And I always, always, no, pretty much always say, what books on advertising have you read? And there are two books that I generally talk about. One is Scientific Advertising by Claude Hopkins, yep. which David Ogilvy said changed the course of his life. Yep. Hardly read, anybody. read it seven times. Huh? Read it seven times. Yeah, hardly anybody I've come across in, amongst all the students I've spoken to has, has even heard of this book. It's only 42 pages long it's free get it free on my bloody website for God's sake yeah they haven't read that it's rather like saying I'm a Christian have you read the Bible you know, I mean yeah. <laughs> it's uh, and the, and the, I found that more than half the people who work for Ogilvy and May that haven't read Ogilvy on advertising that's uh, quite incredible so lack of study mm. um, I think it's a bit of a lack of
1: humility I mean I've only been in the industry what 15 16 years but people just lack the, the 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 humility to be curious and to want to learn all the time they feel like they already already know it
0: hmm.
1: they go well I, I know it of course i know it and they and they bombastly kind of go off in, you know um and I, I think that humility to go right well i don't know this i don't know this. i'm going to constantly be trying to learn and learning about new things all the time
0: yeah yeah that's something you say to us isn't it it's like read as much as you can listen to as many podcasts as you can Watch something that you wouldn't like to turn on the TV and watch something that you wouldn't normally.
2: Yeah, anything like that. Yeah, like curiosity, incredibly important. Yeah, Yeah. one of the reasons why there are very very few old advertising men is they don't study. Mm. You know, people don't study. People don't. I was in New Zealand about um, six or seven months ago, was I? And I was wondering what I was going to say to the audience. What I actually said after a joke about the fact that uh, a dog in Australia had eaten something of mine, and I said, uh, um, if doctors knew as little about uh, medicine as advertising men in know about surgery, half the bloody population would die every year because <laughs> it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I'm collecting stuff, because I've got to do a speech in, in Poland in uh, yes. a, a while, and so I'm collecting the latest uh, selection of asininities uh, that I've received. And you get them every day yeah there's now a sort of an irresistible flood of garbage comes over <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's everywhere it doesn't matter where you go you so I sit on the tube and I see garbage garbage, garbage absolutely wallpaper that's what yeah. Dave Trott calls it isn't it wallpaper
1: it's expensive really expensive wallpaper yeah
2: <laughs> I remember many years ago I, wrote a, I used to write a column for, for a marketing magazine and At that time, somebody said that people in California were exposed to seventy-five thousand or some incredible number of messages. They don't percolate. Yeah, they don't percolate, and there is more now. Yes, there is a swamp because of the internet, which are what I call anti-social media. It's a great idea. This new media encourages kids to go and kill themselves. Isn't that brilliant?
1: It's a great (laughs) idea. Let's sell some advertising around it.
2: (laughs) Oh, this is this is fantastic. It's a wonderful new medium. It's it's uh, and it encourages people to to be crooks, um, mm. and there are so many of them. Yeah.
1: there are so many of them. The amount of uh, corrupt money that's being filtered
2: through digital
1: uh, digital marketing. Yeah, it's,
2: yeah, it but it's causing a lot of trouble. That's why mm. that's why WPP and the others were attacked by Procter and Gamble. Um, yes who, of course, had, would have been very enthusiastic about it. That's, yeah, that's up the, until this point. They sort of think, oh, I can get so many impressions, but when somebody says to you, I can get so many impressions, yeah. if you're intelligent and you're not sitting in meetings talking shit about strategy to each other, you actually go on the bloody internet and you realise that, holy shit, I've got this message here and there are no less than 15 different advertisements around it. Yeah,
0: yeah. and they if
2: you, I mean, imagine if you bought a magazine <laughs> yeah. and for every page of editorial there's 15 pages of shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree entirely.
1: <laughs> I'm going to take you on to the... Um, it's the quote that, I mean, to be fair, you, you, you know, you promote it. I mean, it's the quote that's sort of attached to your, your name probably more than any other, which is the David Ogilvy quote. Uh, Drayton Bird knows more about direct marketing than anyone in the world, uh, which I think is a, it's a wonderful thing for someone to say about somebody else, but it's even better for... <laughs> For, uh, for someone like Ogilvy to have said that about you. I mean, how much did you pay him? Five? <laughs> Ten? I, mean, I mean, how much? How cheap was he? This <laughs> happened
2: because I sold my agency to Ogilvy. Yeah. And David was a great student. Also the hard work, most hardworking man I've ever met. And he read my book. Yeah. The thing is that I... Direct marketing was coming up. And I'm very curious. And I thought, what is it? And the only definition I could find was two pages of charts with arrows going hither and thither in a very good magazine called Direct Marketing, an American magazine. But I'd never seen anybody give a clear definition of what it was. Yeah. And I sat and thought and I was well, any any communication which goes directly to people or which they respond to directly. Any communication aiming to persuade, yeah. Yeah. And nobody had ever written anything that that's, as far as I know, that simple yeah and it, in a f- rather peculiar fashion, the world mm. caught up with me in the sense that all of a sudden the internet came along, and every single thing on the internet is direct, yeah, so all of a sudden, this thing that I'd been a- interested in, its most potent medium,
1: was all direct, yeah, and it appeared at perfect time, the it, perfect well, time. It, it,
2: i I didn't benefit from it um as well as i'm I'm not very good at making money. I sold the agency for, for a fair amount of money yeah. <laughs> to, to Ogilvy and there. Um, and then I got a very good job as worldwide blah, 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 um, which involved the the poison chalice of <laughs> the American Express account, which is very hard work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's the, I mean, that's really the only time i made a, a lot of money and it really mm-hmm. was due to having defined the subject and being brought out by Ogilvy and also very much to my surprise, because I admired him long before I met him, um, that we got on incredibly well. And yeah. we got on incredibly well because, I think, he was interested in direct marketing, that was one reason. But B, because a lot of people were frightened of him. He could be an absolute swine, <laughs> he really could. Yeah. But I got on terribly well. I the first meeting I had with him after the sale was in Amsterdam, and um, I'm clueless you're very lucky that I got here because I can get (laughs) lost anywhere and I had this meeting in Amsterdam and of course I went to the wrong office and then I ran to the right office and in those days being more attractive than I am now which is not hard (laughs) um, you were able to carry this very easy I used to wear a cologne and I I went into the office and he was sitting outside the meeting room on a settee and he said come and sit here I came down and I sat next to him and, and he looked at me and he said, is that you? <laughs> he said, you smell like a whore's boudoir. <laughs> and I said, how do you know, David? And <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, after that, we had so many hilarious exchanges. Um, I can't even count them. Yeah. All very very, And he's a cunning, cunning man. I mean, the first thing that happened after we sold the business was, um, the main agency rang up and said, could you have a look at this copy for the World Wildlife Fund and comment on it? I so, sure. Looked at it uh, and then wrote a memo and said, oh, it's, it's okay, I said, but it's got the, uh, David Ogilvie always talks about headless wonders, ads without headlines. Mm. This is a tailless wonder, it's got no, Urge to action, and the next thing that was Ogilvy on the phone saying, "Thank you for your comments about my copy." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes. we we I don't know. We, we, uh, I very, I'm still surprised. I, I, I'm still because he was a remarkable man. Um, yeah.
1: So how old was he when you met when you met him then? <sighs> he would have been seventies. Yes, seventy, seventy two. Y- yeah. yeah. So he was. Uh, he wasn't in the office. He wasn't in he the agency all the time. By he that was point. never
2: in the agency after he, he. when he, they really when they went public, and possibly before he, he then went to uh, Toulouse in France, where right. I stayed the, yeah. with my wife and so on a couple of times, and actually with more someone else other than my wife. Um, <laughs> Classic. And, um, <laughs> but he was. He was a, um, a big
1: advocate of selling advertising should sell of course it should um and that's something that i think well we've certainly subscribed that it has to sell it has to it has to persuade someone to do something yeah and there's not nearly enough people i think in in advertising today that actually talk about selling they more people are far more interested in really lofty ambitions you know brand purpose brand value and all this kind of crap Bollars. and and n- people almost do
2: anything but sell. Well, it, it's very interesting, this thing about the brand. There's a, uh, a business school professor, the name of which I can't remember because my memory's crap, but he's quite a, a good friend of mine. And he's dead now. Not um, like most of my friends. But, and he was the biggest expert in the world on brands. And uh, well, I used to write a column every week for the for marketing magazine. And so I interviewed him two or three times, and particularly about brands. I said, what's the difference between a strong brand and a weak brand? And he said, it very simply, he said, a strong brand has more customers. <laughs> yeah. very simple, very simple. Yeah. So it all starts with selling. If a, right. yeah. What what people are doing now, very often when they talk about doing things with the brand, rebranding, de da did it's all completely irrelevant, unless you yeah. remember the whole purpose is indeed to sell yeah. and to make a customers. And the more customers you've got, the stronger the brand. Yep. Yes. And that's it. What What's interesting about the advertising business, not a lot, um, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> that it's terribly simple and they do, people don't want to believe I'm doing something that simple. Yes. Yeah? They want to believe they're engaged in some sort of tremendously intellectually demanding pursuit. Yes. I'm not saying it's easy, it's not easy. Yeah, because
1: I think they're two different things. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 it just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's straightforward yes. or easy it's incredibly difficult to make something simple it's extremely simple.
2: it's bloody hard to take money off people I mean that's why I used to say when I'd you know when I'd hire copywriters one of my questions mm-hmm. was do you have a burning desire to take money off people yeah, yeah. that's why everything else um were they curious were they argumentative you know all the different things that I'm looking for uh, not not originality Mozart said I never tried to be original in my life yeah I think humility is required. The minute you start thinking you're good, you're in shit. Yeah. yeah? A, a healthy sense of inadequacy is what I recommend to anybody
1: yeah, a good dollop. who wants to
2: succeed in <laughs> yeah. any, any enterprise worth yeah. succeeding in. You know. Yeah. That's the, uh, the Picasso. Is it the Picasso quote? You know,
1: I wasn't original, I, I was a particularly good thief. Or, you know, I stole, essentially, you know, I stole
2: ideas. That was yeah. all, that's what he did. No, you um, do. You don't. You don't. You don't. You don't come into a a world newly made where you, you can. You know, there's nothing there. Yeah. Mm. You come into a world where you see what's good, what's bad. You try and steal f- from the good and avoid the bad. Yeah. And God knows there's a lot of it, so that's not <laughs> <laughs> true. That about forty years ago, I was studying what was the difference between something that looked like an advertisement and something that looked like editorial. Yes so I did a test I took the same ad and I had it. one of it set by the newspaper to look like shit and the other beautifully set by us and the difference if my memory serves me right was the one that looked as though it was set by the newspaper did about 60% better yeah. brilliant
1: ah. it's more yeah. anecdotal isn't it I suppose in that, kind yeah. of, in that kind of sense
0: is it not like what we've spoken about before as well designers that design for other designers not for the consumers so you yeah. know consumers gonna Buy into the, the idea of it, not the beautiful. They're not going
2: to say, love the serifs. Exactly. I love those serifs. They've changed the serifs. I'll buy six more. What yeah. a beautiful typeface. Look at that
0: Kernan yeah. It Doesn't Sign happen. Sign me up. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't happen.
1: <laughs> what, uh, what do you think are the best, what, what attributes do the best copywriters
2: have? Uh, they are very, very argumentative people. Yeah. And I've, I'm not that. If somebody says something, I immediately disagree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're insanely curious. They love writing. Um, they do have a burning desire to persuade people to yes. do things. Yeah. They're, what else are they? I think they're usually a bit odd. Rosenwald, who started Sears, said, my ambition is to stand on both sides of the counter at once. Yeah. So they're very interested in other people.
1: Um. I think they swear a lot. I think the best copywriters swear a lot. There's a lot of fucks dropped
2: with the best copywriters. I oh, think. this is your thesis. This is your <laughs> this is your positioning. Yes. Since I was known for the this film that's been made about me, the title of it actually, it's got Drayton Bird, and then it, uh, up goes a little, uh, you know, and well, it says Drayton Fucking Bird. You know? Yeah. Because I was doing that long before you, pal. <laughs> I feel like... I was talking... Of course, I was just talking about it. (laughs) I think, um, yeah, the very good copywriters are insanely curious about anything. I found that, uh, to my surprise, that people will come along to me me with something that I really don't understand and that I'm always interested, I want to understand it. Um, So I've ended up saying some really weird shit, you know. I've written, I think, for... Eight of the world's great car brands, I can't drive. Yeah, I cannot drive. Yeah. What you
1: can't, you can't drive, or you're not particularly good. I, mean, I no can't I mean, drive. <laughs> I cannot drive.
2: I've never been able to drive. One of my partners once said it's a bloody good thing because you'd have killed yourself. And quite another just, yes. looking at people on the pavement. Well, it's probably the reason why you drank so
0: much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Went for the test, but was drunk.
2: Works. <laughs> 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 David Ogilvie used to do this trick with the uh, Russian dolls. I've got a video of him somewhere. Was, I've only got it there because he was talking about me. Ha-ha! <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was nice. But on the... But on the uh, For one's ego. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, he's got these Russian dolls which go inside each other, and he and, he always, and inside the last of these Russian balls, the tiniest one, it just said, if we hire people uh, bigger than ourselves, we'll be a company of giants, and if we yeah. hire people smaller than ourselves would be a company of dwarfs. so I was always looking for people that I thought were better than me I think when I was really young I was very ruthless I know I was, I know I was but I'd reached the stage by then because I was what 47, 48 I was no longer had this desire to go out and strangle people in the street <laughs> I did say to my partners when we started I said if I have to run up and down Bond Street strangling people that's what I'll do and that's how I got into public speaking, because somebody asked me to speak to 120 uh, people who that uh, were doing direct mail, and I said, oh, I can't. I said the only time I've ever done a speech, at somebody's wedding, and I was so bad that the the bride's father got up and said, since the best man has chosen not to make a speech, this was in Stockport. I'm going to make one. <laughs> so I felt, the mere thought of making a speech, I felt crushed before I began. Before you even started, uh, yeah. And they said to me, you're the one who said you'd run, walk up and down Bond Street struggling people. So I had to do this for the goose. I had to take uh, tranquilizers, illegal now, uh, <laughs> very strong tranquilizers. <laughs> Actually, the other day I had some, I had, um, oh. I had a joint the other day for, for the first time in 50 years. Very yeah, interesting. What, 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 what spurred you on? Well the person I was with said to you do you want that Do, do you want some <laughs> So I said oh, I haven't done that since you know in forty odd years. Uh, I haven't done that since I was thirty one. I, I can even remember who I was with. <laughs> <laughs> it goes really well with red wine. But anyhow that's quite the bar. <laughs>
0: tip of the podcast.
1: Yeah. Because of the length of time that you've been knocking about and and the, the success that you've had, it you must have met some of the real uh, big names within the industry over the over the years.
2: I'll tell you the people out of your list that you yeah because I've got a list it. there. I mean, I I was guessing. I well, mean, Charlie Brow dad before my time. Have I? Mm. Uh, Burnback absolutely not. Mary Wells absolutely not. George Lois, Um, I worked for Papert and Lois, which was uh, George Lois's agency. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I actually. It was Koenig that came in to see us. This was in London. Yeah. And I got a job because Charlie she wanted more money than me. <laughs> and I always say, they, they made the wrong choice, you know, yeah. he's slightly more talented than me. <laughs> um, so George Lois was a most extraordinary person, and I remember... Yeah. I did a speech in uh, New York to the Ogilvy and Creator people, and that, which they loved, and I said, why did you all love it? Because you swore a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the guys had worked for, for Pico, and he, yeah. he had a hand-signed copy of George Lois's big, huge, great, <coughs> fat book. George yeah. Lewis is a very strange man.
1: Yeah. I I've I've only uh, spoken on email to him. I've never I've never actually met him. But you you're in the London office or are you in the UK? In London. In London I never office? worked
2: in New York. I was offered a job in New York but I know. Yeah. Al Ikoff I gave good advice to. Yeah. Uh, Al Ikoff, who was the leading guy on broadcast right marketing. Mm. I met him when I was asked the first time I was asked to do a really significant international speech. Well, I'd done some in France and one in in California, but they asked me to go to the Worldwide drug Marketing Congress in Manila, of all places. Of course. Of course. And Al was talking there, and he kept, you know, blah, 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 in the States, did da de da, da And then he came over to London. I hardly spoke to him there. Came over to London, and by that time, I was quite important within Ogilvy and And I said, if you don't mind me saying so, Al, don't say what we do in the States. Say... We do this in the States, but it might might not be right for you, but blah, 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 and that made all the difference, you know. Yeah. yeah. That's a big mistake, Americans make. Yes. So he was nice. Um Frank Lowe and I both came from pubs in Manchester. In Manchester, yeah. And we worked together. Um But he he was from a pub like four miles away from the one where I was Yes. We were never really close. No. Um, I just
1: didn't know if your, your paths would have crossed and clearly, you know. Oh, yeah. It's... it's, yeah. it's, it's a, uh,
2: the trouble is that when you're senile like me, it's hard to remember how many people you have met. You yeah, know? yeah, um, yeah. Like, I was walking along the street the, now, and I was sort of just remembering, when I was at Ogilvy, I used to go to Australia a lot, and, um, and I, I had my wife, I flew my last wife around the world with her children, for, and they met me there, and I took them in a seaplane from Sydney, to a restaurant halfway up the Margaret River yeah. for dinner. <laughs> no, <laughs> for lunch. And I yeah. thought, my God, I must have had some money then. And where did it all go? Yeah. Um, and she flew the plane part, part of the way back. She was drunk as a lord. And the guy was, it was a Spitfire adapted for to be a seaplane. And I sort of think of some of the stuff. Are, what's interesting to me, apart from myself, is yeah. a, a, a sort of strange... Uh, perspective on my life in the sense that I never expected to do anything interesting let alone anything remarkable then suddenly, 20 years ago somebody, one of the creative group heads at, at Ogilvy made said, you should write your autobiography. I said, don't be bloody ridiculous, I haven't done anything. I think she's called Lisa Lee, very talented um, and she said, well you shouldn't. I said, why? She said, well you've done some interesting things and it's only afterwards you think, well some of the things I've done are interesting or odd Yes, but not you don't sort of. I actually said to her, "I haven't fought in any battles. I'm a devout coward. Haven't you know? Haven't started any fantastic businesses. Haven't travelled to strange places that nobody's been. And then you suddenly think, yeah, but I've done some weird shit, you know. And that people might be interested in that. And also, the thing is that.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, it's it's um, that's what's strange about. Trying to write an autobiography and, it, and it's terribly difficult. I'm as I was walking along here, I was making notes of things I'd forgotten, like the seaplane. I'd forgotten yeah. about it. The one thing I find interesting about my life is really odd conjunctions, really, really strange, strange things. Yeah. Give think. us one more. <laughs> Give us one more really memorable story. Oh, no. Now you've said, now you put me on the spot. Put you put on the spot. <laughs> All
0: right. We'll elaborate later.
1: <laughs> but you've you've been stabbed by we were talking about just off air but we'll just we'll just run
2: through it again you've been stabbed by three of your three of your wives my domestic career has been somewhat eccentric
0: (laughs) (laughs) my domestic career this is why i'm single for
2: now no it's true one tried to stab me and missed um she would definitely have killed me if she'd yeah she was the axe call girl the second one who was a stripper she actually hit me here. There's a sky you can actually see. Just, just oh. next to your eye. Yeah, um, yeah, with a plate, because I'd said something rude to her, oh. along the lines of, you couldn't even give a guy a decent wank, I seem to I think it was. <laughs> she was very pissed off. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, you know, that, was... that hit an artery, so if, I hadn't, if there hadn't been a hospital three 300 yards up the road, I'd be dead. Yeah. And the third one was my last wife, who was pissed off because I'd had a daughter with her hairdresser?
0: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> when you lo- are you looking at me and thinking he hasn't got any hair? Why would he? Yeah.
0: <laughs> how, <laughs> did he how did he score
1: What's the next
2: for fuck's sake? <laughs>
1: That's
0: exactly what was going through my head. Not. Can I? Um...
1: Uh, yeah. So you see, so what do you have like poor taste in women? Uh, they have. They seem to. It seems to be a checkered
2: selection. I don't think that you should end your life. Having done the same thing as everyone else. Yes. Because Absolutely. I think if you've done. Well, I'm very fond of quotations, you know. Um, and one of my favourites is the advice given by Polonius in Hamlet to his son Laertes on, the, on his way to the court in, in England. And he said, This above all to thine own self for true. So I, I find that an alarming, depressing number of people try to be, to emulate someone else. Yeah. And I think it's natural to do that when you're young. When you're really young. But I think if you just try to be something that you're not yourself. And if you're not yourself, you might just as well never have lived. Yeah. You know, you only, you only, you only come into the world with one thing, which is you. Mm-hmm. And you leave with you. And in the intervening period, I advise everybody to be as much you as you can. Possibly be. But why be someone like, you know, yes. why follow the latest fashion? Why do that? Be? Yeah. Try to find your own furrow. Yep. What was it? The road less travelled was the... Uh, yeah, I subscribe to that
1: entirely. I've just moved to France. Have you where? Uh, I've moved to Annecy, just in the Alps.
2: Yeah, because I had... I, in fact, my third wife has just sold two houses we had in France. Home. Whereabouts? In Normandy. In Normandy. Mm. Nice.
1: Yes. Yes. Whereabouts yeah. in Normandy?
2: Uh, near Vermouthier I used to oh, say fuck. nous sommes entourés de fromage my
1: in-laws are in uh, have a house in just outside Vimoutier just well, n- next to Camembert the village of
2: Camembert we, were, we oh, that's why I used to say we're surrounded by cheeses yeah. because we we had Camembert we had Livarot and we yeah. had Pont l'évêque and yes. we were on Saint-Germain de Montgomery oh, right. um,
0: I didn't know there was an actual town called Camembert yes
2: it is it's a, little it's a tiny it's little tiny, village yeah and it's, it's, the truth is, Camembert can be made in lots and lots of places. Mm. Yeah. I used to go to a restaurant now, which everything was with Camembert. Lovely. Guaranteed heart attack after three visits. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's my kind of meal. <laughs> I like
1: all, it. It. All, it, all it takes is a week's holiday there in you Yeah, uh, last <laughs> <yeah. Mass legs. laughs> A I visit I to the that. hospital. I loved it, though.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I used to go there about three, day, three or four days a week. Mm. I want
0: to go, definitely. Fantastic stories. I love it. Um, I'm quite intrigued about this question. You had to live under a false name for seven years. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because I have no idea about this.
2: What happened was that um, somebody I didn't know got in touch with me and said, I know you're looking for a mail order product. I went to work for PK, Papa Koenig, and later yeah. then. Mm-hmm. But then this guy got and then I became a partner in a creative consultancy called Wolf Sinclair Hill. That ended because the partners called me in that, and they said, we don't like the way you do business. And I said, well, what's the problem? They said, well, you come in here with your poodle. This was my friend, the one I, the, the first one to try to knock me off. Um, and you know, you ask what's got to be done, then you, you sit down and write some stuff, and then you go to the wine bar, and that's the last we see of you. And I said, well, does the copy work? And I said, I guess so and they said are the clients up in well, I said well fuck you give me my money I'm leaving
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> <And> I'm off <after> to
0: <laughs> the wine bar <laughs> and I
2: took my money and um, this guy got in touch with me and he said you don't know me but I know you and I know the copy you've written this is years ago I can't believe this um, and I said like what for instance and he told me he said you wrote this and you are and he said I've got a product that would interest you and he did have a product that interested me. It was a music... It was a piano-playing course. And we started a business together with the unusual name, Drayton World Limited. Imagine <laughs> 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 so We had a lot of strategy meetings about that, I can tell you.
1: <laughs> Over a bottle of wine, so. Yeah.
2: And... Um, we were doing really well. We started business everywhere. <laughs> we were in business in Sweden. We were in business. We had a 100 new Bond Street, uh, all over the place. We had a, a mailing house. We did everything right except have separate bi- companies for each of the businesses we were in. Okay. And one of the businesses we had was one which, I frankly looking, was dodgy but very successful. <laughs> and that business was libelled in. Uh, the people, newspaper, said it was dangerous, Did and it wasn't dangerous. I went to a lawyer, the lawyer said, oh, you will undoubtedly recover. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you said you'll win. He said, you sue them, you'll win. And I said, how long will that take? And he said, well, these newspaper johnnies, you know, take a while. I said, how long, two years? I said, I'll be talking to the creditors in May, <laughs> which I was uh went broke, and then I owed a load of money to the Indian revenue, and then followed the most unpleasant in a way, joyous in another way, extraordinary but educational years because I lived I was David D. McMahon. I took the name of my f- second wife's first husband, uh, Glenn McMahon, and I had a flat in that name, I had a penthouse in in uh, Harley Street. Uh, and I did anything that I could do to make money mm. I sold stuff on the telephone I sold franchises I did. I went to Australia and failed to sell fake Chagall paintings I <laughs> <laughs> and the thing was that my wife that she became was an extraordinarily beautiful and talented woman who was unfortunately um, maybe they call her bipolar now I don't know but she was up and down like a bloody yo-yo and always trying to kill herself so I had a, like a season ticket to the Middlesex Hospital. I got yeah. to know, I became friendly with the registrar and so on. I used to write, I wrote part of a guidebook for London, I wrote a book about the evolution of the Bugatti motor car, I wrote the book about cowboys, which actually somebody two years ago, a publisher said, can we use your chapter that you wrote in this book way back, you know, yeah. about cowboys, said, so, yeah. I did anything to make money. I, I sold the franchise for swimming pools in France and Germany. There are still holes all over the continent on uh, <laughs> um, I just did anything. See, that's the thing about my life. I never did anything at all remarkable but some very odd things. <laughs> and until uh, then, uh, one of the things I did was acted as a sort of Part-time creative director for a number of agencies and taught a number of people, one of whom was a man called John Watson, who was a very talented copywriter. And they were all interested in how to write a copy that got a response, you know. Mm. And I kept in touch with John, and he he was working for an agency next to Harrods, and we were having a drink, as you do, in the bunch of grapes. <laughs> and he said this direct marketing thing is really taking off he said you're this the only person who knows anything about it we should start a business and we ended up in business with him and another guy and three and a half years we were the biggest agency in that area yeah and then we were approached by eight of the top 20 agencies uh, one of which was Ogilvy and that's how I came to sell to Ogilvy and John Watson did better than me I think in terms of finance definitely Okay. The politics were unbelievable in those days. Yeah. Wow. I yeah. can't even believe I'm speaking to myself. I must have had some sort of a row with myself. <laughs> <laughs> Did I swindle myself? <laughs> Did I cheat myself? Did I lie to myself? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely.
1: <laughs> so that's the, uh, so you, you lived under a false name for seven years, and then that's why you ended up selling, uh, you were to sell fake paintings in Australia. Which yeah, the, uh, which I think is fantastic. You
0: can't say you're shit at making money when you do stuff <laughs> like that.
2: Like, yeah, but I didn't bloody sell them. I mean, I <laughs> tried, tried your best. the most <laughs> exciting things happened to me. I, I just learned. I learned a lot about what not to do. Do you want a, a guide to what not to do in your life? <laughs> I'm your man.
0: Read my book.
1: <laughs> so that's. So this is all going to go into the book if you can remember it all. As you keep saying, it's it's tricky to recall it all. It's
2: too. very. It's really extraordinary because literally when I was. I was walking along the street. I was remembering a couple of things of this story about hiring the seaplane to go out and have yeah. lunch. You, I don't know, you, you don't think, as you're living it, it doesn't seem extraordinary to you. Yeah. Mm. I mean, my, Malcolm, my friend there, whom I'm still, I did when I did a tour two uh, two years ago. He arranged for Australia and New Zealand for me. We've been together ever since. But the way we met was that they'd asked me, what happened was I was invited to talk at the World Advertising <laughs> Congress. I mentioned that, before. the World Direct Martin Congress. And then they, somebody wrote, said, would you come along and do a tour of Australia? Because a lot of Australians had seen me. So I said, sure. And I went there, and we went, and I didn't realise how big Australia was, although yeah. I'd already <laughs> been there. I'd been there with my second wife, but only to Sydney. Yeah. yeah. And... I nearly died of exhaustion yeah. going round there. <laughs> but uh, when I got to Sydney, they'd hired two boats to take me and everyone else who was involved on a tour around the trip around the harbour. My wife was always late. Yeah, right. My wife was always late. That's why my marriage broke up because she was so late one day that her hairdresser arrived outside her flat and. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing led led to to another, another. Um, but so she was late. So by the time we arrived at this 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 boat trip, there were only most of the other people had gone on the first boat, and there were like seven of us left. One of whom was this guy called Malcolm Old. Yeah, and so we floated around the harbour eating prodigious quantities of prawns and, (laughs) and drinking. Astonishing amounts of alcohol, <laughs> Yeah. And we became friends, and eventually he yeah. became the managing director of Ogilvy and the director in in uh, in Australia. In Australia, yeah. And uh, we're we're still very good friends. He's a brilliant salesman. Oh. Yeah. Um, but then I went up to the went up to Cairns because this yes. is your speaking the speaking tour. Is, is there anywhere else you'd like to see in Australia? Sorry, I said the Great Barrier Reef. He said, Oh, I said, all you've got to do is to do a seminar there. Yeah. yeah. So we go up to Cairns and, like, nobody's interested. <laughs> <laughs> Cairns <laughs> is, is a ghost town. <laughs> <isn't it?
0: laughs> Only three
2: gallif- jellyfish are. So <laughs> And then he, they said to me, Well, Terry Murphy was running. He said, Why don't you do a free seminar in a local <laughs> park? <pub?" laughs> so we did a free seminar, and my, my wife sitting on the door taking the names. <laughs> <laughs> and we got 32 people there I was very disappointed because we, we'd had like 200 in Sydney but, and um, I said to the, uh, the hotel owner I said, oh, I said lovely here it's a lovely place I only had 32 people there he said believe me pal everybody who's got any money uh, was there that What's last there? night and one became a very good friend He, he um, that's another story he took me on a memorable days trip where we nearly died in a mangrove swamp <laughs> So then they, Terry Murphy said, so uh, the blokes in New Zealand, they'd love to see you, the folks in New Zealand. Yeah. They don't have much money, but they'll show you a good time. haven't been. They <laughs> go to New Zealand. And <laughs> yeah. they, I thought the Australians could drink, but the New Zealanders could so, give hold them blokes. the blokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like, arrive at midnight, you know, sort of have a few drinks, yeah. have a look at the venue, realise everything's in the wrong place, move it, Go to bed, get up five hours later, do a day, catch the plane to Wellington, yeah. do the same. Everything was wrong there. Do the same here, catch the plane to to Auckland, do the same thing. Same thing, different problems. And then they said, "I'll show you a good time." Yeah. yeah. Um, oh. Drinking boots. I don't. I can't. <laughs> hold a right, glass of champagne. Yeah, you're tucking it away now. So <something>.
1: So it's all going. It's all the going in the book. Very careful. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I've, I've already had lunch. Run off I've too. already had. Yeah, I'd
1: already had lunch. <laughs> yeah, true. You've got, you're speaking in uh, Gdańsk, uh, mm. in Poland. Yeah. Do, I, do we know the date? Yes, uh, it's going to be my birthday. It's your birthday, so
2: you do know the date. What? It, what will? The, what date are you speaking? Well, my birthday is the twenty-second of August. Yes, I think the twentieth and twenty-first. And this came about because I did a two-day event with uh, Trevor Toe-cracker. Toe Cracker. Crook? Yeah. Toe Cracker, Australian Genghis Khan, I the right, of coffee. <laughs> um, talking and, about him. Uh, it? No, he so said it was for my birthday, and he ca- came over to Bristol and, and intoxicated me, and said, so yeah. it seems a good idea. And I said, um, why Poland? Well, because he lives there. Uh, and I said, "Why we should do it in London?" He said, "No." And then eventually, he said, "Look, I said I, I mentioned this to some quite well-known people in the in, in the US." Yeah. Matt Fury is one I know of, and John Cotton I've comf- I've communicated with, and they all sort of said they'd love to come over because they've never spoken outside the US as far as I can make. <laughs> so sad. Oh. <laughs> so very, very <laughs> sad. So very very sad. <laughs> it so happens that the... The girl that I mentioned, the Polish girl that hit me on the plate, she was born in Gdańsk. Really? Oh. yeah. I think one of the things that I've been very fortunate in is that being an expert on something that nobody's interested in has <laughs> 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 enabled me to go to. I think I've. I've certainly, I keep on trying to count. Certainly, fifty-five different countries.
1: So you're speaking in Gdansk, 20th and 21st. But um, we're told by your PA that we have to plug where people can get the tickets, and that is on your website, askdrayton.com. And if they click on blog, then they can find the ticket info and then they
2: can buy the tickets to is go that to the she said? That's she's Kelly said that. She's I'm very efficient. Sure. She's She is yes, very She's efficient. wonderful. She's a hell of a sight more efficient than me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I sort of wake up in the morning and say. Hello, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so
1: we've got we plugged the book, we've plugged the tickets for Toe Cracker Crooks, uh Gdansk, Gdansk uh Poland How event. How much champagne? I've you had you quite had. a bit of champagne.
0: Drake just neck the rest of
1: it. <laughs> Straight down. <laughs> right, interview over. It's, it's, it looks like looks like Drayton wants to go to the pub. Um and wine bar, darling.
2: Yes, sorry, my, my sincere apologies. Um So
0: yeah, where else can people find you? If
2: they want to hear more from you, oh, you go, just go to Drayton at Draytonbird dot com. Yeah, simple. and the book that we talked about, the, the Claude, Hopkins Claude Hopkins book, you yeah. can download it there. And yeah. you, and if you download it, there is a penalty involved, which could be profitable, yeah. because what I do is I send people uh, a series of emails yeah. which give advice about marketing. And if you want to avoid all the ghastly mistakes that I've made. <laughs> I cannot guarantee you'll have as much fun. <laughs> um. No, it's everything I've learned. And I am surprised, that, uh, never mind about my life. I'm surprised at the range of things that I've helped people to sell. A magazine about Pepper Pig. Yeah. I
0: saw that on your website. Yeah. Airbus,
2: Airbus planes. <laughs> yeah. There are very few things that people can make or sell. That I can't think you of can't something sell. to sell. <laughs> yeah. i think, I got have a go at selling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my hit record is quite high. Even now, I'll still occasionally flop out the odd idea. Flop out? <laughs> <laughs> like a fish what's out of water. <laughs> what a horrible vision, that.
0: that analogy was Good God, what's that, what's that? <laughs> Bloody hell. I think that's a good time to end the podcast. Yeah, I think we should probably
1: finish on <laughs> Drayton whopping it out. <laughs> Oh, uh it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank it you really so has. It's been up. it's been really good fun. Um, yeah. I'm I'm really surprised to survive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well yes, thank you very much.
0: S- oh, my pleasure. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go anywhere you need to subscribe to our channel because we've got a fucking amazing back Because we have got an amazing back Fuck, that's really <laughs> hard to say. Because we have got a fucking amazing back catalogue of speakers.
1: Yeah, we do. Astronauts, sexperts, yep. artists, mm-hmm. amazing London creatives, Natalie Gordon, my favourite, marketers, journalists. The list goes on and on. Fucking great. you got to subscribe. You have to. Get risky.
0: How stay I stay risky? <laughs> pow! <laughs> oh, oh, pow! <laughs>